As an ecosystem builder here in the Shenandoah Valley, I have been entrusted with telling the stories of local entrepreneurs and our ecosystem. In the summer of 2023, we launched our second storytelling campaign to shine a light on entrepreneurship here in the Valley. I sourced and wrote the stories of seven entrepreneurs who either still run or launch a side hustle to start with. The idea behind this campaign is to highlight the side hustle as a pathway to entrepreneurship. More broadly, our goal was to show how these hardworking entrepreneurs who do really awesome stuff in our area. Our reason for telling these stories at all is to change the narrative about what it means to be an entrepreneur in a rural region of the U.S. Yes, we want to contribute to the national conversation about entrepreneurship in under-optimized geographies. But even more importantly, we want to hold up a mirror to these local dreamers and doers to remind them that their boldness and courage are not in vain. We want to raise awareness in the community about these unique businesses that make up Main Street. And we want to showcase the innovators who are tinkering in their garage or basement, building something really cool right here in the Shenandoah Valley. I want to elevate their voices and shout their stories from the mountaintops to make sure that more and more people recognize the potential of entrepreneurship for our region. That's what Season 6 was all about. In today's episode, we will reflect on some of the key insights from my conversation with my six guests. Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, where we co-author the playbook on transforming communities by amplifying the impact of changemakers around us. Whether you are an entrepreneur or otherwise changemaker yourself, a citizen who loves their community with a passion and wants to see it thrive, whether you are a mentor, investor, support organization, advisor, philanthropic funder, economic developer, or policymaker, Learn the practical tools and proven tactics of ecosystem builders from all around the world to better support the dreamers, doers, tinkerers, and makers in your community by taking a systems approach to social change. I'm your host, Annika Horn. We started this season by asking how we can tell better stories about what is happening in our ecosystems. As we established in episode one, storytelling is not just some fun marketing campaign. It's a tool to show the community what is possible and what the future might look like. Just look at the Entrepreneurship Indiana yearbook with profiles of entrepreneurs and accomplices from around the state of Indiana. Link in show notes, of course. And you will see nothing but opportunity. Different founders with different solutions to problems in their state and beyond. What we all have to remember is that most of us, especially entrepreneurs and other ecosystem partners, are so heads down in the day-to-day -day that they rarely have the chance to look up and see the bigger picture of where the ecosystem is headed. Storytelling allows us to do just that, to gather and curate all these different stories like small pieces of a mosaic that may not impress anyone as an individual piece, but create a beautiful picture as they come together. We call this a narrative. Once you understand that each story told, be it on a blog, a newsletter, or YouTube, adds to this greater picture, you can start chipping away at it. You don't need a degree in journalism or media production to start contributing. What you do need is a genuine sense of excitement about the entrepreneurs you encounter and the willingness to look for solutions. So let's talk about what we learned this season. Number one, 
the types of stories we tell. Thanks to Peter Block, I knew that we become the stories we tell ourselves and others about our community. In fact, as Eva-Maria Verführt, editor-in-chief at T-After 12, explained in episode 2, talking about disaster and crises leaves us feeling helpless. I think we can agree that that's not a great starting point for driving progress, change, and innovation. Focusing on solutions, on the other hand, can show us a way to move forward. And before you think it's just a way to put a positive spin on a real problem, listen to what Eva had to say about solutions-based journalism and storytelling. First of all, I don't really like talking about positive news because... It usually isn't really positive news, to be honest, because in, we talk about solution-based journalism, so we look out for solutions, but to, in order to need a solution, there is a problem, usually. So while we put the solution first in the story, we then dive into the problem. So a big part of the story is always the problem, because in order to judge whether a solution is viable or not, you need to understand the problem pretty well. You, know, you need to get to its roots, right? Here are two other things I took away from my conversation with Eva. Number one, you have to be factual and objective when reporting on the problem. Only if you explain the ins and outs of the issue at hand will your story do a good job of elucidating why this entrepreneur or that startup in your community is really moving the needle. Number two, set clear parameters for when and how this solution can potentially work. We are not in the business of selling silver bullets. As you know by now, what works in one community may not work in another. And as storytellers, I believe we have a responsibility to clarify where the potential starts and ends. If you do these parts well, however, your storytelling potential will skyrocket. T After 12 told the story of an activist scientist who restored the wetlands in his community in Peru. Based on the article in T After 12, People from 13 different countries reached out to learn more about his method so they could deploy this solution in their home countries. If this doesn't showcase the power of storytelling, friends, I don't know what does. Number two. How to tell a good story. According to Eva, passion is key. You have to be passionate, be it about the person or the greater mission or the initiative. To tell a good story, take a step back and put yourself in the shoes of the audience. Obviously, we as ecosystem builders are super passionate and excited about these startups or the innovations they bring about. But why should someone who really thinks about these things care? What's the essence of the story and how can you chisel out that hook to catch your audience's attention? Here's Eva's recommendation. Try to stay specific. Talk about the facts. Stick to the story itself and don't exaggerate. Because if it's a story that's worth it, there's no need to put more into it than there actually is. In episode 3, Natalie Hodge raised a great point. With the advent of social media and cell phone technology, most of us carry a mini production studio in our pockets at all times. I love the fact that the door is open and it's accessible to people. Because that allows for there to be a diverse range of representation. Communities of color, um, well, any community really outside of traditional Hollywood did not have representation. And now 
with our phones, you know, with our iPads, with with all sorts of other devices that anyone can get. You can rent equipment from public libraries in some places. Those things open the door for us all to have our faces and our stories out there. That's cool. This one made me think. Because not only have the technology and platforms made storytelling more accessible, we need more diverse storytellers because a greater variety of people means we'll also get a greater variety of perspectives and stories that are being told. And if we're serious about showing the many different angles in our community, we need stories to be told by different people about different issues. Note to self, we need more storytellers from all walks of life. Another nugget that I found in several conversations throughout this season was the importance of developing not only great content and telling a meaningful story, but to support that story with strong visuals, be it photography, design, or video. You know the old adage that a picture is worth a thousand words? Take that to heart. I've been fortunate to work with some incredibly talented photographers over the years, and I can only recommend that you do the same if you get the chance. Adding imagery to any story will not only bring the story to life, but it shines a professional light on a community. In other words, it has potential to make the audience proud. It allows them to share how they view their community with others. And it makes it all the more likely that they'll share it with their family, friends, and networks. Which brings me to insight number three. Sharing your stories with the world or distribution. One of my greatest challenges, both here in the Shenandoah Valley and with this podcast, is how to get the word out. Having great content alone is not enough. You need to find a way to get it out there so that the right people find it and can consume it and hopefully share it with their people. Eva and her team at TF12 rely on their partner networks to source stories in the beginning and to then share their latest issue with those partners in order to get the word out. Personally, I love the way that Pattern and the Indiana Economic Development Corporation get their entrepreneurship yearbook into the hands of Hoosiers. As Morgan explained in episodes four and five, step one is handing them out to anyone and everyone. I think the biggest thing is just getting it in people's hands. So we initially ordered 3,000 copies of the yearbook. So we shared that end of November, we ran out of those 3,000 copies in February. So over the course of four months, we distributed 3,000 copies of the yearbook. And that was not only at the launch parties that happened during Global Entrepreneurship Week. It was showing up at community events, giving people a box. It was hearing that there's one community that's interested in investing in entrepreneurship, giving them a box. So distributing those yearbooks was a, a key piece. Um, and we've since ordered, I think, 2,000 more um, because we're continuing to get requests for physical copies because there's, there's power in that physical coffee table magazine. Pattern did a really great job of making all of the graphics in the yearbook fit for social media as well. So as part of the handoff package for the 2022 yearbook, we got all of the files of the, the entrepreneur stories that we could distribute. We shared that with uh, all of our partners, all of the founders, because it's great 
for the IEDC to go on our social media and say, hey, look at all of these really great things. But it's even more powerful if the founders and the community members do it themselves. Did someone say launch party? I wanted to learn more because hello, who doesn't like a good launch party? Morgan shared more details. Since we did all of the launch parties during Global Entrepreneurship Week, we did three. So we broke our state into thirds, north, central, south, and had a launch party in each community. Um, since that was such a large geographic area, we did see some stakeholder drop off when you get to the edges of that region. But people drove hours to come to this party. Hours. In northern Indiana, there was a huge snowstorm the same night as the launch party. And people very dangerously <laughs> still drove hours to come to this launch party. So while we did have kind of the really fun parties during Global Entrepreneurship Week, we did also do those pop-up events and the outreach events following. So going into the smaller communities and bringing a box. Even though that wasn't a, a big fancy splashy launch party, it's still a launch for their community. And that's how we brought everyone into the fold. Was the launch party merely raising a toast or were there panel discussions? Were there speakers? How was the content organized? It was intentionally not stuffy. So we wanted these to be approachable, be fun, celebrate the founders. So there was a like five minutes dedicated to the pitch, explaining what the yearbook is, explaining what the IEDC is, raising a toast. But the majority of time was just those natural collisions. I think one of my favorite experiences of the launch party was when founders took their yearbook and they went around um, and were showing people their stories. And then we had people that were attending would come up and say, hey, you're in the yearbook. Will you sign your story? Just like a, a traditional high school yearbook, people were signing, signing their stories. People don't need to listen to a panel. We want those natural connections just to happen in the room. What can I say, friends? We simply need more launch parties. Lastly, I was super curious to hear how these storytellers leverage social media. Personally, I have a love-hate relationship with Instagram. I've pretty much abandoned Facebook and Twitter, and I wanted to know what is working for them. None of them rely on social media alone to get their stories out. Obviously, the video-based storytellers show up on YouTube, and most of them share their stories on social media in some shape or form. But it's neither their only nor their primary distribution channel. Here are my two cents. If you are on social media and you already have a strong following, go for it. If your target audience is on social media, it might be worth the investment. If neither one of these are the case, don't feel like you need to enter this red race for online attention. Hey, I don't want to distract you from this awesome conversation, but I do want to let you know that I curate a fortnightly newsletter with resources, events, and behind-the-scenes insights into the show. I would love to pop into your inbox every two weeks to hand-deliver those goodies. Sign up through the link in the show notes, and now back to the show. Insight number four. How to finance your storytelling. The formats we heard about in this season were an online-only magazine, a YouTube TV series, a printed coffee table yearbook that's also accessible online, a limited video series featuring different rural communities, and written case studies. 
Obviously, all of these come with a different production value and therefore price point. I loved learning from all six guests how they finance their storytelling efforts. Tea After 12 is subsidized through much of the team's client work in storytelling and media production. Hometown Hustle is typically financed through different community stakeholders, including economic developers and corporations. The Entrepreneurship Indiana Yearbook is a line item in the IEDC's annual budget. Kudos, by the way, to the Indiana Economic Development Corporation for contracting a local nonprofit that is advancing the creative community. Pattern does not only work with local artists and talent, but actively trains the next generation of storytellers. This is the way it should be done, folks. Support your local creative economy. The Rural Edge video series that the Center on Rural Innovation produces as a nonprofit themselves is, as Austin says, a line item in their annual budget. But let him tell it. The funding for us as a nonprofit, uh, Corey is a nonprofit. It's it's philanthropy, and it takes some pretty large scale philanthropy, unrestricted funding to be or. If someone wanted to specifically fund this work, they certainly could. The storytelling for us in our communications budget is it's the biggest non-personnel expense. And when you then layer in personnel, that's, that's kind of the whole game. Insight number five, advice for emerging storytellers. If you enjoyed this season and are ready to roll up your sleeves to tell the stories of the changemakers in your community, here are a few pieces of advice to get you started. First, let's review what we heard from Julie Heath in episodes four and five. My advice is start, make something, then let people react. Many people can't envision the value until it is in their hands, until they experience it, and then be open to the action that inspired people take. I'll give you a concrete example. The first weekend we received these yearbooks off the printer, we did a, a program with our high school entrepreneurship program. A senator attended. He flipped through this yearbook and said, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. He really was positively impacted and inspired by this publication. And he then said, what our state needs is an entrepreneurship caucus. So the action that can happen as a result of inspiration and optimism, yeah, just get ready for the ride. Paulina Osheroff pointed out that you don't have to be able to do everything. Find good people in your corner who can help you do it. And let's be honest, there is no better example for exactly this type of collaboration than Paulina, Megan, and Julie. Both Eva and Austin pointed out that in order to connect with the public, it's not enough to find a cool story that you think is relevant. You actually need to zoom out and get some perspective to figure out why this might matter to someone who isn't an expert in this area. Pull in statistics or a current development that showcases the story's relevance to the public. That way, your story is more likely to resonate with them. Storytelling makes the intangible tangible. Profiling over 100 entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial supporters and then putting that coffee table book or magazine in the hands of policymakers can help get their attention and help everyone understand why investing in entrepreneurship matters. Lastly, intentional storytelling helps us change how people view themselves and their communities. As Austin Danforth said in episode six, 
There's a narrative about rural America that needs to change for people to see rural America as a place of tech-based opportunity where innovation can happen. I'd venture to say that this is not only true for rural America, but for many of our communities that are in peril, but that are also so much more than just the sum of their shortcomings. Telling meaningful stories allows us to highlight issues and showcase all the great stuff happening despite these issues. As Eva-Maria Verführt said in episode two, I think a good story that, apart from conveying information and facts, is a story that is meaningful and that has a message to convey and that will make people who have read, seen or listened to the story think differently about the topic or give them the chance to think differently about things that I've been reflecting on. And with this insight, we have come to the end of Season 6 of Ecosystems for Change. I hope you know more about why storytelling matters and how to do it, even if you're not a trained journalist. I will be back with a special episode in the coming weeks, and I can't wait to hear what you learned in Season 6. Send me an email, contact me on LinkedIn, or respond to my fortnightly newsletter. Thanks for everything that you do, Annika. I pay my respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, the Monacan, Shawanda Setula, and Monahawk people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water, and community. I pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. This episode was produced by Yellow House Media. Yellow House Media.